0: Uh, Before we read God's Word, I want you to think with me for uh, just a minute. We're in a bit of a a transition season, Um, transition, well, even in our church, uh, transition between sermon series. Uh, We just finished up the life of Abraham uh, this past week. Uh, We'll be transitioning, transitioning again next week. Uh, transition maybe, as Dave mentioned earlier, um, for some of our younger students uh, as we move back towards uh, school, as we move back towards regular routine of semester uh, life. That can be somewhat uh, chaotic uh, for children and parents alike. Um, That can be somewhat disorienting. Maybe you're transitioning from vacation mode uh, back into uh, real world mode. And that can be sometimes disheartening, can it? Because you want to stay where you were, whether it be at the beach or the mountains or whatever the case. Uh, Some of us are transitioning uh, health-wise. Um, struggling with health or having some sort of infirmities or something like that, that can be, uh, that can be a burden, uh, can it? It can be unsettling uh, to our souls. Maybe some of you uh, are moving to a, a, a new city And you're starting at a new church, and maybe, I don't know, this probably only applies to a few people in the room. Maybe uh, you're worshiping with a new family uh, for the first time. Maybe you're starting a new job, uh, something of that sort. That can be overwhelming. And so the question that I want us to ask this morning, the question that I think David asked of his own soul, is how can I be stirred back toward God? What is it that's going to, when everything is chaotic, when everything is in upheaval, when everything is discouraging, when everything is disheartening, how is it that I can rediscover or remember or remind myself who our Father in heaven is? genuinely uh, is. That's where we're going to look this morning. Psalm 103, that this is God's Word. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him." As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. oh my soul let's join our hearts together in prayer father it is our deepest desire this morning that our hearts that our souls that our minds that they could resonate with king david That we could, in unending praise, bless your name, Lord, forever and ever, that our hearts would be so full of your righteousness and goodness, Jesus, that we just overflow with it on to others. And yet, if we're honest, we we know that's not the case this morning. And so we're asking, Lord, that you would help us. Uh, that you would renew our strength like the eagle's wings, that you would build us up and that you would call us to yourself and that you would have the tenderness like a a father who loves his children. Teach us, uh, Father, what it means to live in unending praise uh, to you, our great King. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, I want us to see uh, three things uh, this morning. I'll try to keep them as brief as I can. Three things uh, as David tries to rouse his soul to see his heavenly father again, whatever the circumstance may be. He's trying to rouse his soul, breathe life back into his soul so that he can be reminded of who God is. And he reminds himself of who God is on, th- on these three things, God's comprehensive care, his comprehensive knowledge, and his comprehensive loyalty. Those will be the three things that we look at Uh, this morning. Uh, First, God's comprehensive care. There's an intentionality to verses 1 and 2 if uh, you notice that. David is literally talking to himself. He isn't just reading and writing God's Word. He is saying it out loud. For whatever reason, David is audibly and with pen and paper trying to rouse his soul Uh, to see his God versus that of forgetting. And he develops this idea for us. If you look at verses three through five, he develops this idea of God's comprehensive care. He's preaching the gospel to himself. And what is it that he says? Now, Keep in mind, as we look through these verses, verses 3 through 5, you're going to see a building component uh, that David uh, gives us. He's so precise and purposeful in his words, and as he uh, looks at his Father in heaven, so much so that it, it feels like David is leaving no stone unturned when it comes to God's care. Look with me, if you will, at verses 3 through 5. God is the one who forgives sins. Why? Because he cares about the weight and the burden that we carry around with us uh, in guilt and shame. He heals diseases. Why? Because he cares about our discomfort. He cares about those things that pain us. He redeems our life from destruction because He cares about the circumstances that lead us along the path uh, to glory. He crowns us with love and mercy because He cares about your confidence before Him and before others in this world and in the world to come. He places a crown of mercy and love on our heads. He satisfies us with good because he cares about our eternal and complete well-being. Who doesn't want to be satisfied with good, right? And God cares in such a way that he gives us those things. He renews our strength like the eagle, the strength of our youth because he cares about us flourishing. You see how this builds and how this escalates? You see how this grows into this comprehensive means in which God cares for his people? The question that I hope you feel and that you notice out of David's words here is, where else am I going to be cared for like this? Where else is it that so precise and so comprehensive am I cared for? Even if we try our hardest morally, ethically, um, otherly to reciprocate God's care, where would that land us? It still doesn't deserve, it still doesn't earn us this type of care, this type of comprehensiveness. I'm afraid I, in this position, would still be asking God to care for me differently according to what brings me the most comfort. Do you ever do that with God? He's given us in His Word this comprehensive, precise care, and we come back to saying, well, but God, could you do it this way? Friends, you can imagine, you can imagine what it must have been like for Jesus on the cross when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because possibly for the first time, he experienced what it was like to not have the comprehensive care of the Father. Why? Why? Because as he laid down the comprehensive and precise care of his father, he enabled us to pick it up again. And to feel it and to know it and to to relish in it. One of the main reasons Kelly and I and Wyatt and Rainey and Holden are so excited to be a part of this family is because you hear this word of truth week in and week out, but it can never lose its luster. It can never lose its brightness uh, in, in our eyes. And that overwhelming beauty of the transaction that takes place through faith, through the life and resurrection and death of Jesus can never lose its radiance before us. Which is why we have to ask the question in every facet of life. What does this type of comprehensive care do to you? How does it change the way you sit in the pew this morning, knowing that you are so lavishly cared for? How does it change you in disagreements with others? in frustrations, in hardship, in heartbreak, especially, especially this one, how does it change the way you think about others when your care isn't reciprocated? Think about with me the person that cares for you the most. If you're, if you're young in here this morning, it's probably going to be mommy or daddy. Daddy. Or your grandfather, or your grandmother. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's a really, really, really good friend. Can they care for you with this much comprehension? Do they care for you with this much precision? You see, when we realize that we're cared for this much with these comprehensive degrees, we have no choice but to fall deeper and deeper and deeper in love with the one who cares this much for us. It's out of the abundance of Jesus' care for us that is so comprehensive And it's so precise that then we are able to care for others. It's not out of our own strength. It's out of this overwhelming care for us. And when we struggle with that, because we will. When we struggle to care for others in the way Jesus has cared for us, that's the beauty of what we just confessed. We come back to him. We come back to the one who cared first comprehensively and we say, Jesus, we need your help. We need your help. His sacrificial comprehensive care rouses our soul to real joy and hope that can be lived into and shared. I hope you see the beauty of God's comprehensive care. But second, David says, God doesn't just care for us comprehensively and precisely. He also has comprehensive knowledge of us. And that rouses our soul to love Him all the more. If you look at verses 6-14, through you'll pretty quickly figure out that the backdrop for what David rehearses in these verses is the Exodus. And God God's relationship with His people versus their relationship with Him. He's going to hold it uh, in parallel together. The record of grace that abounds and benefits that are all too quickly forgotten. Right. And so David is reminiscing this comprehensive knowledge of God through the intimate lens of relationship between God and his people. And listen to the flow of thoughts as he processes through God's intimacy in Exodus. Verses 6 and 7, he, he, God hears their cries of oppression and he begins to work to straighten their record out while redeeming their whole life. But he doesn't stop there, does he? Look, look at how David describes it. He longs for his people to know him and be known by him. And he shows his ways to Moses and his acts to his people. David's remembering these Exodus miracles that were all throughout the wilderness wanderings at Mount Sinai. This was God's training ground for his sons and daughters. And if we didn't know any better, we'd think, man, a God who cares this comprehensively and a God who knows this comprehensively, the Israelites had it really good, didn't they? But if you look at verses 8 and 9, that shows us the reality they weren't appreciative they weren't appreciative of God's knowledge and his care. David actually quotes Exodus 34, 6, when God passes before Moses in the mount. And so the background of what David is quoting is the golden calf incident, isn't it? And the perfect human example of, God, of God's consistency and divine mercy over and against human inconsistency. In verse 9, God the infinitely wronged is generous and does not continue in quarrels and nurse grievances, but rather tempers his wrath towards justice. So what's David's Exodus conclusion about the relationship between God and his people? Well, look at verses 10 through 14. God intimately knows what his people need, and David illustrates this for us in a couple of ways using these these overwhelming ideas of distance and closeness. Distance and closeness. Look with me at verse 11. How great is God's steadfast love for you? How great is God's steadfast love for you? Well, you could start You could start by trying to measure the height from heaven to earth. And how high is that? It's immeasurable. So what's that tell you about God's steadfast love for you as his people? Verse 12, how far does God's forgiveness extend? Now let that sink in on your life. When we we offend God, and sin against him. And when we sin against others, we need forgiveness that extends how far? Well, look at how far God's forgiveness extends. You could start by trying to measure the distance between the east, is the east from the west. How far is that? Immeasurable. Look at verse 13. How much compassion did God have towards his children? You look at any father's photograph of the first time he ever holds his infant child, and you'll know. It, enamored and overwhelmed, and I, I can't even describe to you what just happened because god's supernatural sovereignty has produced this life and david says that's how compassionate god is towards you he knows us so intimately god's intimate knowledge is so lavish and so irreconcilable the question the question that comes to my mind is how does god love people like the israelites who don't love him back how could he keep loving this intimately with this amount of genuine knowledge it must come at an irreconcilable cost can you, I don't know, can, can you see yourself in the exodus? Can you see yourself uh, in the exodus, the wilderness, uh, the wanderings, the golden calves? It's no wonder that when Jesus went into his own exodus, right, when he was sent out into the wilderness and was tempted to make himself the golden calf, that he looked Satan square in the eye and smashed all of his will and all of his desire by becoming not the golden calf, but the cross-bearer. He just flipped it right over on Satan. Satan. That cross bearing enables us to know the immeasurable love and forgiveness of a heavenly father while simultaneously feeling his tender compassion. What does that do for you this morning? How does that change you? You see, we live in a tension where we desperately want to be intimately known and loved. Desperately. But there's a safety concern in that, isn't there? (laughs) What are you going to do? This is the conversation that we have in our minds maybe, maybe daily as we interact with each other. What are you going to do when you really know who I am? Will you continue to love me and will you continue to forgive me and will you continue to have compassion towards me? We long for this. The problem is we long for for this from humans with expectations that far exceed our capacity. And so as we go through this process, what we end up doing is we end up hurting and hiding, hurting and hiding, hurting and hiding. And Jesus says, as David is trying to rouse his soul, Jesus says, I know your frame. I created it and I love it. That is intimacy and grace that is beyond our wildest imagination. And when you feel it and witness it, because of what Jesus has done, it can only continue to change us into, in new ways every single day. And I hope this knowledge of your father knowing you rouses your soul with confidence that you are known beyond anyone else's knowledge and yet still loved. (laughs) And then finally, David, in effort to try to remind himself in the chaos and in the frustration and in the disheartening moments of life, David rouses his soul by remembering God's comprehensive loyalty. And there's a contrast. The contrast that David remembers is human frailty and vulnerability over and against God's steadiness. Look at verses 15 and 16. Humanity is beautiful one day and forgotten the next. God's love, on the other hand, is what? Forever. You see that? His love is loyal to generations upon generations. And David is clamoring over this consistency and this fidelity of God's love and his promises. And David seems to understand that there is loyalty And then there's conditionality, which is a concept in our world that we understand all too well, because our concept of loyalty only extends so far as you give me reason to doubt. Right? Our concept of loyalty only goes so far as you give me reason to doubt steady, long-lasting fidelity in relationships seem so conditional. Why? Because if we're honest, there's just too much hurt. There's too much hurt. It's, it's, it's hard to see past that much hurt that causes that many questions, that creates that many black hole spirals that so many of our relationships fracture in. It makes us, it makes us ask the question, is there any Hope for our conditional relationships. And God says there is, and David reminds himself that there is, but it's self-sacrificing. You see that? God's God's loving promises of loyalty and steadiness to us are because Jesus was loyal and steady in our place, not because of our loyalness and steadiness, because Jesus was loyal and steady in our place, He crucified all of our disloyal, conditional unsteadiness with the Father on the cross. And now what that grants to us as we believe in Him by faith, what that grants to us is this ability to learn loyalty. And to learn steadiness relationally. It doesn't mean we have to get it perfect. But rather, it provides us the grounds on which to learn it, because that's what Jesus has done for us. I don't know about you, but these reminders of God's comprehensive care and his knowledge and his loyalty lead David to conclude one thing and one thing only that our souls are meant to bless the Lord all the days of our life all the days god deserves to be worshiped in all of creation because he's that good is what david says in verses 20 and 20, 20 and 21 comprehensive love so creation comprehensively worships is your heart roused Is your heart stirred up? Is your soul encouraged by the beauty of the gospel? Do you feel like you've been blessed with something that you don't deserve? The appropriate response is the privilege to join and let this settle in on you. Friends, this isn't just about Greenville, North Carolina. This just isn't about Christ Presbyterian Church. We need to remember this week in and week out. When you come here with the body of Christ, you're a part of something cosmic. That's way, 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 way bigger than me and you. When David talks about angels and minister, he's talking cosmically. And you get to be a part of that because Jesus, especially as we come to the table this morning, Jesus is ushering us into the throne room of heaven. And he says, you're cared for, and you're known, and I'm going to stick by you always. Always. That's what brings us to the table this morning.